chapter 9 is where we'll begin this morning. I invite you to make your way over to Ezra, the ninth chapter. If you will, put a marker there. That's where we're going to spend most of our time together today. So great to be with you all this morning. It's a beautiful Lord's Day. We have several people who are out this morning, uh, lots of guests. We really appreciate all of the guests who are here with us. You all are our honored guest. Uh, this has been a wonderful, wonderful worship period thus far, glorifying God. And I'm so excited to be here with you. Ezra chapter 9. Grown men sit and tremble as heavy rain pours mercilessly from a dark and cloudy sky. The scribe Ezra stands in the center of an open court and he cries out to the people, You have broken faith. You have married foreign women. Make confession before the Lord today. Put away your wives today. Repent of your sins today and return to the Lord. The crowd is struck by the words of the scribe, and they cry back, it is so, we must do as you have said. And in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 16, the Bible says, then the men did so. One man, Ezra, was able to impact the lives of 111 men. By the words of this one man, Ezra, 111 men repented of their sins, they put away their wives, and they returned to the Lord. And so the question that we ask ourselves this morning is, how? How in the world was one man able to impact the lives of so many men? How in the world was one man able to make such a difference in the lives of so many people? One word, passion. Ezra was a man of passion. The word passion is defined as having strong or uncontrollable emotions for someone or for something. Ezra was a man who had strong and uncontrollable emotions for the Lord, the God in heaven, for the people of God, and for the Word of God. And here in Ezra chapters 9 through 10, we see his passion in his grief, we see his passion in his prayers, and we see his passion in his preaching. Ezra chapters 9 and 10 highlight the passion of Ezra. The year was about 458 B.C. And a remnant of Jews have just left Babylon and they have made their way into Jerusalem. And things were on the up and up. Things were looking good for God's people. The temple had been restored. The children of Israel had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them. There was much joy and gladness all throughout the land. Things were great. And the scribe Ezra comes on the scene hoping to make things even better. Ezra comes on the scene hoping to teach the people the law of God, hoping to reestablish temple worship in Jerusalem. Things were on the up and up. But sadly, sadly for Ezra, when he enters into the city, he realizes that things are much worse than he would have expected. 
He realized that things are very, very bad. He sees that the holy race of God has been defiled. The people have physically polluted themselves with the people of the world. And when Ezra hears this news, he says in Ezra chapter 9 and verse number 1, After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the land with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has mixed itself with the people of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men have been foremost. Ezra enters into the city of Jerusalem and he sees that his people have not been faithful to God. The men had taken these foreign wives for themselves and for their sons. In fact, many of these men divorced their Jewish wives in order to marry these pagan, heathen, and godless women. And this wasn't a problem that was only going on with the common townsperson. This was a problem that had spread into the Jewish religious leadership. In fact, the Jewish religious leaders were the main ones who were involved in this sin. The children of Israel had blatantly and deliberately defied the law of God. Several years earlier, the Lord made it very, very clear through the mouth of his prophet Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 3, the Lord says through the mouth of the prophet Moses, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. God put these laws in place for a reason. God put these laws in place to protect His people. These were God's people. They were His covenant people. They were His chosen people. They were His set-apart people. They were His people. They were a people for His own possession. Through them, through the children of Israel, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Through the children of Israel, the Lord God would bring the Messiah into this world to save this entire world from destruction. And if the children of Israel continue to pollute themselves physically and spiritually with the world around them, the Lord, the Lord would have to destroy them and start all over again. And so when Ezra enters into the city and he sees this stark reality, the first thing that he does is grieve. When Ezra sees that his people have physically defiled themselves, when he sees that the holy race of God has been polluted, the first thing that he does is grieve. Ezra chapter 9 and verse number 3. Ezra says, As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until evening sacrifice. Ezra was so upset 
He was so angry. He was so zealous. He was so passionate about the Lord, about the Lord's people, and about righteousness that he tears his cloak, he tears his garment, he rips out the hair from his beard, he rips out the hair from his head, he stops eating, he stops drinking, he sits in the open court all day long, completely and utterly horrified, appalled, upset about what is going on in Jerusalem. But not only that, When Ezra enters into the city and he sees that the people have defiled the holy race of God, not only does he grieve, but he prays to the Lord God in heaven. Ezra chapter 9 and verse number 5, the text says, And at evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with garments and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. As we continue reading through this prayer, Pay attention to the pronouns that Ezra uses. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6. Oh my God, Ezra says, I am ashamed and blessed to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens from the days of our fathers to this day. We have been in great guilt. Do you see it? Ezra included himself in the sins of the people of Israel. Ezra had just entered into the city. Ezra hadn't done anything wrong. Ezra was a righteous man. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, the Bible describes Ezra as one who set his heart to study the law, to practice the law, and to teach the law in Israel. Ezra was a righteous man, but yet, but yet, in his prayer to God, He considers himself, he considers himself responsible for the sins that are taking place in Israel. He has a personal responsibility and accountability for what is going on with his people. And so as he continues to pray to God, he acknowledges the fact that the Lord of all creation has done nothing but shown his people love, grace, and mercy through the centuries. God has been very, very good to his people from the very, very beginning of time. Ezra acknowledges this fact. And he also acknowledges, despite the Lord's love, grace, and mercy, the children of Israel have done nothing but turn their backs on him and have been very, very rebellious. And so Ezra continues to acknowledge the fact that God is a just God and God has every right and God should wipe them out. Ezra says, Lord, how could you not, how could you not destroy us for such a horrible and such an awful thing? We confess our sins, we repent, but you are a just God. Do with us as you please. When Ezra entered into the city of Jerusalem, he learns that the holy race of God has been defiled. And the first thing that he does is he grieves. And then he prays, but yet the people repent. In Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 1, the text says, While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah the son of Jehiel of the sons of Elam addressed Ezra, 
We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Ezra's prayer was so fervent, it was so zealous, it was so heartfelt, it was so passionate that a great crowd of people, men, women, and children, see him pouring out his heart to God. They see him casting himself down before the house of God. They see his very passionate prayer. They hear his very heartfelt prayer, and they begin to grieve. They begin to mourn. They begin to lament, and they repent of their sins. And so as the story continues, Ezra commands the people to gather together. I want you to gather together in three days. And on the third day, when we're all together, you must hear the word of the Lord. When Ezra sees what is going on in Jerusalem, when he sees that the holy race of God has been defiled, he grieves, he prays, and he preaches. On the third day, Crowds of people are gathered together. The rain is pouring from the skies. Everyone is trembling because of the rain, and they're trembling because of what is going on. The prophet Ezra stands in the middle of the open square, and he cries out to the people, you have broken faith. You have married foreign women. You must make confession today. You must put away your wives. You must repent of your sins, and you must return to the Lord. He preached the word of God to them. He called out their sins and he told them that if they wanted to be right before God, they must repent. And it's remarkable what happened. Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. Verse 16, Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 16. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra chapter 10 and verse number 19. Ezra 10 verse 19. They pledged themselves to put away their wives and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 44. Ezra 10, verse number 44. All these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even bore children. Ezra's preaching was so intense, it was so heartfelt, it was so captivating, that this entire crowd of men, women, and children are standing in the heavy rain, trembling, They hear the words of the Lord. They're so touched. They're so moved. They're so struck by what the prophet of God is saying that in this very moment, 111 men repent of their sins. They put away their foreign wives and they return to the Lord. How in the world was one man able to make such a difference in the lives of so many men? Ezra was able to make a difference in the lives of these men because he was a man of passion. He was passionate about the Lord, he was passionate about God's people, and he was passionate about righteousness. And his passion was seen in his grief, it was expressed in his prayers, and it was heard in his preaching. Today is January the 28th, 
2019. And we're living in a world much like the world that Ezra was introduced to when he entered into Jerusalem. We're living in a world that looks absolutely nothing like what God intended it to be. We're living in a world that has been spiritually defiled. We're living in a world that calls good evil and evil good. We're living in a world where it is now okay for two men to get married. It is now okay for two women to get married. It is now okay for a man to identify as a woman and for a woman to identify as a man. It is now okay for for married couples to get divorced for any reason under the sun. It is now okay for, for people to engage in all of these sinful activities that were once considered evil, but now our world considers them good. We are living in a very, very spiritually defiled world. And so we ask ourselves the question, what can I do? What can I do to make a difference in such a big world? What can I do to make a difference in a world that has been polluted, in a world that has been corrupted, in a world that has been defiled? What in the world can I do? The first thing that we must do, ladies and gentlemen, is grieve. We must grieve. Ezra grieved. He was upset about what was going on in Jerusalem, and we must be upset about what is going on in our world. God expects His people to grieve over sin. God expects His people to be upset about sin. During the days of the prophet Amos in Amos chapter 6, Amos pronounces a woe upon the children of Israel because they were lying on their beds of ivory. They were stretched on their couches. They were eating the best food, drinking the best wines. They were singing music. They were listening to music. They were anointing themselves with oil. They were living their best life. They were living the good life. But yet, the prophet says, you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. You are living your best life, but you are not grieved over the spiritual demise of your nation. Woe to you. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are not grieved, if we are not upset over the spiritual demise of our nation, shame on us. Shame on us. God expects us to grieve over spiritual ruin if we are going about our day-to-day lives, living our best life, going to work, going to school, going home, going to church twice a week. If we are doing all of these things that aren't necessarily sinful, but we could not care less about this world, about this world that is dying spiritually, then shame on us. Woe are we. God expects His people to grieve over sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is appalled. He is appalled that the people in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, were tolerating a man who was having inappropriate relations with his father's wife. In fact, they were boasting in this. Paul says, you should mourn. You should be upset. This should bother you. Sin in the church. Sin in the church should bother you. When we see sin in the church, when we see sin in, in, the, in the realm of Christendom, when we see the, 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 the body of Christ corrupted, that should bother us. We should grieve. We should mourn. We should be upset about sin. If we want to make a difference in this world, 
That's what we're trying to do. If we want to make a difference in this world, then sin should bother us. Sin bothered our Lord Jesus Christ. He enters into the city of Jerusalem and he is is perplexed. He is overwhelmed. He's so upset that, that the children of Israel, that God's people, the Jews, have rejected him. They've rejected him from the very, very beginning of time. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. The city that stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to it. I want it to take care of you. I want it to bless you. I want it to do good things for you. But you have rejected me. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Our Lord grieved. He grieved over the sinful, wicked rebellion of the Jewish nation. Do you grieve over the sinful, wicked rebellion that is going on in the world around us? If not, why not? We must grieve over sin if we expect to make a difference in this world. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul enters into the city of Athens and he sees that they, they, are, they, are, they are worshiping idols. The city is full of idols. And the passage says that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. It was provoked within him. He was upset. He was upset at the spiritual ruin of the people in Athens. Do you see it? God expects us to grieve over sin if we expect to make a difference in this world. But not only that, if we expect to make a difference in this world, if we want to make a difference in this world, then we must pray for this world. Ezra prayed for the world around him. He prayed for the Jews. He prayed to God. He fell down on his face with, with, with great cries and lamentations to the Lord. That must be our response. Instead of talking about the problem, instead of talking about how awful this world is, let's do something about it. Let's pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul charges the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 to pray for all men. Pray for kings, pray for rulers, pray for authorities, pray for people who are in high places so that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life that is holy and dignified and godly in every way. We talk about world peace. We want world peace. How do we accomplish world peace? Through prayer. When we pray for this world, when we pray for people who are in high places, when we pray for people who are in low places, godliness, righteousness, justice, dignity, and holy living will spread all across the world. That's how we accomplish world peace, prayer. There is power in prayer. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man has great power and is working. Does the Lord hear my prayers? Yes, he hears your prayers. Is the Lord going to do something about my prayers? Yes, he's going to do something about it. Why? Because the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man has great power and it is working. God is working through us when we pray to him. If we want to make a difference in this world, if we want to do something about the, the corruption that is going on in this world and in the church, 
then we must be upset about it. We must grieve and we must pray. But not only that, third and finally, if we want to make a difference in this world, then we must preach. We must preach. Ezra preached. The Lord said, do not marry these foreign women. Do not take their daughters for your sons or give your sons to their daughters. If you do so, they will turn your hearts away from me. That's what God said. Ezra entered into the city and he saw that they had not done what God said. He could have very easily just ignored the problem and acted like everything was okay. He could have very easily participated with them in their sins. Or he could have very, very easily preached a very shallow, watered-down message. He could have done all of this. But friends, that's not what he did. Ezra boldly and he confidently preached the Word of God. And because he preached the Word of God, 111 men repented of their sins, they put away their wives, and they returned to the Lord. We are living in a world that violently opposes righteousness. We are living in a world that violently opposes the Word of God. And it would be very, very easy for us to simply ignore this, ignore the problems that are going on in the world. It would be very, very easy for us to join in on all of the problems that are going on in this world. Or it would be very easy for us to preach a very shallow, watered-down message to a world that does not want to hear the Word of God. But friends, God needs His disciples to stand up and to boldly and to confidently preach the Word of God. The Word of God tells me, the Word of God tells me that if we know the right thing to do it, but fail to do it, it is sin. That tells me, that tells me that there is a standard of right and wrong. We are living in a world that rejects God's standard of right and wrong. We must preach that message. James chapter 4 and verse 17. There is a standard of right and wrong. In a world that rejects truth. In a world that believes that truth is relative. We must preach what God's Word says about truth. In James chapter 17 and verse 17, as Jesus Christ is praying for the world to His Father, He says, sanctify us in truth. His Word is truth. That's what our world needs to hear. Our world needs to hear that there is one truth. There is one way to the Father, and that is through His Word. Our world rejects it, but we must preach it. Our world needs to hear that there is only one Savior. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one Christ. There's one baptism. There's only one way to the Father because God has given His Son all authority. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And if, if we do not submit to His authority, we will be eternally lost because 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 tells me that there is a great day coming. There's a great day coming and those who do not know the Lord or who do not obey Him, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 7, will perish. They will perish. There's a great day coming. If you don't know the Lord, if you have not obeyed the Lord, you will be perished. Our world needs to hear this. They need to hear it. And it's up to us to preach it. We have to preach it, even if they don't want to hear it. The Bible tells us that we must call out sin. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, if your brother sins against you, 
tell him his fault. First Timothy chapter five and verse number 20. The one who persists in sin, rebuke him sharply in the presence of all. Why? Because the word of God is meant for doctrine, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That is what God's word is for, for reproof and for correction. And if we're not using his word for reproof and for correction, we're not using the word of God for what God intended it to be used for. We must preach the word of God. Yes, Yes, we want to do it in a spirit of gentleness. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Yes, we want to examine ourselves before we preach to others. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 5. But we must preach. If we don't do it, who will? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 10 verse 14 and 15. It is up to us. It is up to us. If we want to make a difference, that's what we're talking about. If we want to make a difference in a spiritually polluted world, then we must direct this world to the word of God. Passion. Having strong and barely controllable emotions for someone or for something When Ezra entered into the city of Jerusalem and he saw that the holy race of God had been defiled, he had strong and barely controllable emotions for the Lord, for God's people, and for righteousness. And because he expressed this tremendous display of passion, 111 men repented of their sins They put away their wives, and they returned to the Lord. If we expect to make a difference in a spiritually defiled world, then we must have passion. We must be people who are passionate about the Lord. We must be people who are passionate about His people. And we must be people who are passionate about righteousness. Our passion is seen in our grief. It is expressed in our prayers. And it is heard in our preaching. If we are people of passion, we will make a difference in this world. We can count on that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you now humbled before your high and exalted throne. We thank you so much for being our God. We thank you so much for your word and the simplicity of it and examples in scripture of men like Ezra who are very passionate about righteousness. We pray that we will be people who are passionate about righteousness and stand strong in the face of a spiritually corrupt world. We pray for this world and we pray that they will see the light of your son, Jesus, and that we may be people who will spread the light of Christ through our examples and through our preaching. We thank you so much for Jesus and his great example and his sacrifice that he made for us and his resurrection and what it means for us. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen.